Matthew Rosenquist is my go-to cybersecurity guy. He was Intel's cyber strategist for 20 years. He's a chief information and security officer at a company called Eclipse. And we've done a bunch of work together as we make sure that our clients' cybersecurity programs play nicely with their AI ethical risk programs. So whenever I have a question about cybersecurity, I go to Matt and he's always enlightening. And as you'll see, he's a very passionate advocate for cybersecurity, to say the least. One thing that I really appreciate not only is not only is that he's really knowledgeable about the space, but also that while being an advocate for privacy, he also recognizes that there are really tough ethical quandaries where the value of privacy butts up against other kinds of things that we think are really valuable. For instance, the health and safety of children. So talking to him is always enlightening, and I hope you learned a bunch. Okay, so the thing that I'd love to focus on with you today is everyone reasonable values privacy. Obviously a really important thing. It's crucial for a democracy, for us to be able to pursue things you know, in an unfettered fashion. But it's not the only thing that's valuable. There's lots of other things that's valuable. Safety, security, free speech. And so what I'm hoping we can do today is talk about the various kinds of things that you might trade off with privacy. So maybe you could say a little bit about, I don't know, how you think about privacy. You're a cyber guy as opposed to, say, a regulatory guy or an ethicist. So maybe we just start off with when you think about privacy, and what its importance is, what do you think about? All right. It's a great question. Um, you know, privacy is one of the pillars of trust. And it's more than just the nice to have. You have it as a basic human right, as defined in the European Union. In several state constitutions within the United States, it's defined as a constitutional right. It's that important. And again, it gets back to trust. And I'm a cybersecurity guy at heart. And when we look at trust, digital trust, privacy is one of those elements that contributes to it. It isn't all of it. We have to worry about safety and attribution and all sorts of other things, availability and confidentiality and all those. But privacy is one of those that is important if you're going to have trust. Now, there has to be a balance there, though. And as you mentioned, there's always trade-offs. And so we have extremes when people talk about privacy from no privacy to 100% privacy. And in most cases, those extreme examples tend to fail because we also want other things like safety, right? That tends to be really important on our, on our pyramid of needs. So it, it becomes a discussion then, like we're having. What is that right balance for privacy, for security, for safety? All those aspects that we hold dear to us. So let me give you a particular case that I got in trouble is a bit, is a bit of an overstatement. You know, I got blowback, blowback <laughs> you know, on social media because I wrote an op-ed for the New York Times that essentially said the Signal app, okay, I get the appeal of it. The Signal app, for people who don't know, it's a messaging app. The content of the messages are encrypted, meaning that WhatsApp or, sorry, Signal doesn't know what you're saying to people. And that's similar to WhatsApp and Facebook Messenger. Did Facebook Messenger go through with the encryption? I think they're in the process of it, yeah. That sounds right. That's not unusual among messaging apps. It also, 
unlike, say, a WhatsApp, doesn't collect any metadata. So it doesn't know who's mm-hmm. talking to who. So I could message you and only do they not know the content of my message, arguably fair enough. They also don't know that I'm me, that I've got an account, that I wrote a message to you, you received it at such and such a time. There's none of that stuff. Now, on the one hand, that's great if all you care about is privacy. But if you care about other things like, you know, basic law enforcement issues, counter-terror, counterterrorism efforts, trying to stop the drug, you know, a certain kind of drug trade or, or full <clears throat> trade, you might think, oh, actually, this is really useful for, it's really useful. that's an app that's really useful for those kinds of people. The message of what I intended my op-ed to be about was, we've got to balance these things. The Signal app, frankly, is it can be dangerous. And we've got to, people don't really like that, or at least lots of people said, this guy doesn't care about privacy or corporate surveillance. And I had to do a kind of gut check with people like you. I also spoke to a former CISO of Twitter. Get a gut check and say, no, 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 Reed, you're not crazy. I don't, we've talked about this before. You don't think I'm crazy, but I'd love to hear from you how you think about, or how we, how you think we ought to think about trade-offs between things like privacy. And you don't have to comment on the signal stuff in particular, but privacy and things like law enforcement. Well, actually, you know, privacy is a good example because they don't retain that metadata. That's what you're talking about, right? I'm contacting you. That's the metadata. The message itself is encrypted and lots of different applications have that. But again, you can infer a lot of things just by whom you're communicating with. And our privacy, you know, again, is defined by EU, is defined by certain states gives us a certain amount of protection against being persecuted, against being labeled, against being interfered with. So for example, if there's a website that I don't like, right? I'm a political group and I don't like a certain website and I can track that you go there. Maybe I start attacking you. Maybe I start flooding you. Maybe I start throwing disinformation at you. Maybe I find out where you live, right? So again, there's challenges there. And most people would say, hey, I'm a law-abiding citizen. I should not be intimidated. And I should not be persecuted. And there's no reason, because I'm a law-abiding citizen, I'm not doing anything wrong, that somebody should come into my digital domain. Kind of just like my physical domain. I have a house. And I'm a law-abiding citizen. Sure. That does not mean law enforcement can walk into my house at any time and see what I have there, see who I have as guests, see what I'm talking about, what I've purchased. Sure, yeah. They're not able to do that. Now, now, if they suspect something, right, and they have probable cause, that's a whole different world. Sure, yep, yep, yep. There are legal instruments that require two branches of government to approve them to come in. And they have to be very specific what they're looking for that's criminal. They can't just say, oh, we think he's a criminal. Let's go in and see what we can see. They have to be looking specifically for, you know, drugs or this or that, this stolen piece of equipment, whatever. Great. We have controls like that in place. And that's what our society is deemed okay. Not illegal search and seizure. Right. And yet in the digital world, when you talk to people that say, oh, no, law enforcement should be able to see everything. Right? 
or maybe just law enforcement should be able to see where you shop and who you communicate with. That's kind of pushing those boundaries. Yeah. So, so it, it, I, I can see why people reacted viscerally sure, sure. to a, a general comment saying, oh, no, people should have access to that. Whoa, time out. Wait a second. Who gives somebody the right to do that? Yeah, so, of course, I mean, maybe maybe it's wrong of me to sort of take this as a background assumption, but of course there shouldn't just be unfettered access to information about us by the government or right. corporations or or anyone, right? Of course there shouldn't be that kind of unfettered information. And of course there need to be proper controls to stop people who want not to have access to that data to having access to that data. So, of course, we need, you know, search warrants. I'm sure I'm not an expert in this field, but I am sure that area needs massive reform. I've talked to, you know, a number of attorneys, for instance, who say, yeah, yes. we need massive reform there. So, of course, we need reform. I agree with you. In, in fact, we have that system. It's called laws, right? We have, as part of our government system, a capability of creating laws, which we have at states and federal levels, and even some municipalities can have some rules there. And what we're seeing is more and more states coming out with laws, right, in their constitution that says privacy is a right. We see all the bad things. We want to preserve that. We want to put in proper controls where law enforcement still can do what they need to do, right? When they need to investigate based on probable cause sure. that they can compel, right, people to give up information. And we've got a system. We've got a whole you know, jurisprudence system that does that. And when right. somebody goes off and hides money in some foreign bank, or refuses to simply talk about what happens in a room with somebody, right? There's a judge that can demand it. And if they don't agree, they can give them a nice, cozy 10 by 10 cell sure. until they're compelled to do so. Yeah, but the question, okay. I, take, I take the question that, you know, I agree with you that, of course, laws are in principle meant to reflect our collective decision mm -hmm. about how society ought to be organized. Yes. You know, in a very abstract idea. Okay. But we have new technologies. Mm -hmm. As you know, the regulations and laws trail well behind those technologies. Yes. And so Unfortunately, the concern no. is that there are technologies that undermine, or at least, at least they seek to undermine. This is, you know, Signal is just one app among many, many, many apps. There's other... There's other options for messaging, There's sure. a, you know, but I guess my question is, you know, where are, there's, there's a question about where ought we to draw the line? That is an yes. ethical question that certainly persists in the absence of law. In fact, particularly salient when there's no law guiding this. So, okay. There, so let's take metadata, for instance. Do you think that there ought to be laws about the collection of metadata? Yes, and there are. If you look at European Union, they do have around privacy, what's allowed, what's not allowed. You get a lot more rights. Sure. And you, you brought up an interesting question because, and, and I agree, laws lag technology. New technology comes in so fast, it takes a while to develop laws. But what you're talking about, which is encryption, it's been around for 50 years. Sure, sure, sure. This is not new, mm -hmm. right? We've had encryption. Your browser right now is using encryption. It's yeah. been around for a very long time. Encryption has been around since Caesar's time. 
right? And we we actually have laws on what encryption to use. We have NSA that defines those standards and so forth. So we do have laws in place. This is not new, right? There are, because of digital technology, the breadth in which we use it and the rich data that it now possesses, I think law enforcement and government agencies and marketing companies and data miners and everybody else, they want their hands on it. They really do. It's more valuable. Now, believe it or not, I'm pro-law enforcement. I work with law enforcement. I have family law enforcement. I love law enforcement. And I want to give them the tools to do their job. But I also don't want to blindly empower them to get into spaces that even many of them will go, no, we don't need access to everyone's house. We don't need access to everyone. No sane person is advocating for that. Huh? No sane person is advocating for that. Oh, no. Oh, no. When you look at some of the privacy requests, right, many of those privacy requests are going back to the technology companies saying, put a back door in so we can look at any time, whatever you're doing on your PC or on your phone. Not yeah. not a backdoor you control, but one that yeah. we control. Yeah. And then we'll self-govern that. Yeah, no, that's crazy. I'm out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm totally on board. Right. So we, we talked mm. about this a little okay. bit before. That, you know, was the FBI wanted to gain access to Apple phones for a particular incident. Right. Apple said no. It looked like, at the face, on the surface anyway, it looked like Apple was just saying, no, we won't help you unlock this particular phone. But what they were really doing was denying a request for a master key for all iPhones. Right. Yeah, and that seems totally reasonable. I mean, of course, Apple should say no to that. That's that's crazy. I think. Let me so let me ask you this from you know, sort of a technical perspective because I don't have the cybersecurity technical chops that you do, which that's that's, that's you know I virtually zero. I'm not even zero. One of the things that people will say are things like, "Listen, when it comes to cybersecurity, it's sort of it's all or nothing. Mm, you want us to make make our applications in such a way that we can." Upon receiving a like a justified warrant, a warrant that really mm-hmm. you know has passed all the hurdles and it ought to have passed the hurdles, <clears throat> you want you know you want to make it the case that we can divulge that information and still be a secure, from a cybersecurity perspective, a secure website, whatever you want. But that's impossible, I've been told. What you're asking for is just, you know, you're asking for a backdoor, and once you have any kind of crack whatsoever. That's the end of the game. You, there's no such, you know, if you give a centimeter, you give a mile or a hundred miles, or whatever, you give it all. That strikes me as mm, a lot. Like it strikes me as, I don't really buy, but again, that's just a sort of a, you know, intuition of mine, if you like, it's not based on any evidence. So I want to hear from a proper fiber person whose opinion I really respect. What's the deal with this claim that, no, 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 we can't collect any of it. We can't do any of this stuff because the second we do, that's just a backdoor to the whole thing. Okay. So let me walk you through the logic here. Right? Because technically anything is possible. So, but first off, it's tough to secure technology when you intend to secure the technology, right? right? There always tend to be vulnerabilities here or there. And the industry works very, very hard to try and make products secure. So, but it's really hard. Okay. When you have a agency or a government mandate or somebody says, you know what, let's intentionally put in a a weakness or a vulnerability. 
And normally what happens is when vulnerability is discovered, that vendor will go in and patch it because bad people will take advantage of it. And they don't want their customers taken advantage of, right? They're not going to buy those products. It's, you know, financially disadvantageous to them. Okay. So they normally patch it as quick as possible. But now you're saying a government agency or an authority says, we want you to put a backdoor in for us. Technically, it's possible, but here's the problem. I assume that agency doesn't want it patchable because then the end users are going to find a way to patch it, to secure it. And they don't want that. They want a persistent backdoor, one that can't be patched. Now there's the problem because if ever that backdoor is discovered, and eventually it will be, right? Now the vendor can't patch it. Now, oh, they've lost their market. This is a death spiral. So it's not just, oh, put in a back door. No, put in a permanent back door. And what happens if it gets exploited? Your social security number is permanent. Wasn't really good thinking at the time it was fine. But nowadays, everyone's thinking, why are these permanent, right? It's like having a permanent password. You don't want to buy products with permanent passwords. So fundamentally speaking, it is a weakened product that will eventually get compromised. And the government agency isn't saying, you know, put it in this little device that nobody uses. It's only really worthwhile if you put it in a device that Everybody is using all the time where the rich data can be found. So now, how much of a target is that going to be for attackers? And by the way, we have nation states out there that are you know, asking for backdoors and products. Yeah. Signal you had just mentioned, they recently just offered a million and a half dollars to anyone that can find an exploitable vulnerability in Signal. Million and a half. That was earlier this year. By the end of this year, that may be $5 million. We're not sure. But it is financially advantageous. And it may only take one engineer on the inside to go, yeah, I want to retire in Tahiti. No yes. one will know. I'm going to go leak this out. Done. And now it's permanent. Okay. Do you see the problem that we have? The slippery slope goes down really fast. Really fast. And that's why companies like Apple are saying, no, we see this. We understand the value of trust. We respect privacy as well. So the answer, the only answer, is no. In the European Union, the EU and GDPR and the evolution of that very shortly, I think in a few years, is going to align with that. Because they also have criminals there and they have to deal with them. But they're finding that balance while respecting privacy. So it is possible. Oh, sorry. Sorry, what was that last bit? So, so what's possible? It is possible to find that balance, right? In the EU, they have some of the strongest privacy laws and rights. And they're even fining companies for capturing data that they shouldn't have, right? Because they're not securing that metadata. They're not securing uh, the information. And there is an expectation of that. There's a requirement of that. So they have to figure out that balance 
and they're still prosecuting criminals. They still have law enforcement. So they, they are actively, there's several steps ahead of the United States in figuring out how do we preserve privacy to a reasonable extent while still allowing our law enforcement to pursue the criminals who are abusing people, who are breaking the law. And that doesn't, they're not asking for a global backdoor. They're not asking for a backdoor that they can get in whenever they ask for, right? They tend to go out in a different, different direction. If, Reed, you're doing something bad on your phone, they're going to arrest you. They're going to seize your phone, right? And instead of going to Apple saying, I need a backdoor into this phone, they're going to go to a third-party vendor who can crack a single phone, mm. hook it up to these great little devices, and it takes several hours, sometimes several days, and it cracks your phone. Not everyone's phone, mm. just yours. And that makes a whole lot of sense. That's like a search warrant for your device. Sure, sure, sure. And yeah. you know what? Once I'm in your device as a law enforcement, I can now see all those encrypted messages back and forth. Right. So, so it works. So, that, so let me make sure that I have, there's a lot of moving parts here, so let me make sure that I okay. understand it all. So first of all, you've got the data that you're collecting, and one way to maintain people's privacy is just to not collect certain kinds of data, right? That's, that's obvious. Or to purge it after a short period of time. Sure, yes. sure, sure. So that's one, that's one option, or that's one, one variable at play here. A second one is whether you create a kind of backdoor that is to the product, site, whatever it is, that a universal backdoor or something like that, right? And so, so I take it that your general point is, but then there's this other thing, which is there's hardware out there that can break the security of a particular, say, device, right? Or a single account, a single yes. person's phone, okay? And you think, right, that, that's better because it's a more fine-grained, more targeted sure. prying of discovery of information. That ought to be conducted, of course, only once you've received a warrant. Okay. So, okay. So, so I guess the idea is it should only ever be that. But then I, then I guess the question is something like, all right, so then could it only be the case? No. Phrase this question. I guess that you think that we should only ever have, I'll put it strongly. You tell me if you, it's too strong to push back. We only ever want to have that kind of fine-grained third, you know, third-party whatever means by which we hack individual accounts and devices, et cetera. But we would never want to intentionally create a kind of back a, a backdoor, persistent or not, because then that puts the entire business at risk. It puts the people whose data you have at risk, et cetera. Does that sound right? Yes. Right. You want to target those that you have reasonable suspicion that they're doing wrong. Sure. You don't want to impact the safety, trust, security, and everything else of people that you don't have a suspicion, probable cause of doing that. And the moment you institute a back door, right, you're affecting everybody. And that's a problem, right? I mean, think about it. In this country, you're innocent until proven guilty, right? And sure. so yeah. why are you undermining the trust, security, privacy, and maybe even safety of innocent people okay. and so not anyway, just that, targeting the ones you have probable cause for? So, so I take it your view 
you know, I, I'm trying to sort of poke around to see if there's a place where you think it's worth sacrificing some privacy for some other value. I don't think I'm getting that from you yet. I, I think that you think, do, well, let me ask yourself something slightly different. Do you think that when law enforcement, et cetera, gets a warrant, and cracks a phone or cracks an account, or et cetera, et cetera, do you think that they're violating the person's privacy? Not if, not, not if they have that warrant, absolutely not. Okay. So that's right, not because there system. are in, in our legal system, it says you can do this and it's not a violation, right? Right. Okay. So, I mean, you could say it's a, it's a violation of privacy, but it's a justified violation of privacy. Okay. It's so that's, it's, there's and, no conflict, right? There, so far, there's no conflict for you between privacy and law enforcement. There's no ethical conflict between something like the value of keeping people safe and the value of privacy because they're, you know, we're only, at least in principle, we're only getting that information about people when we have a warrant, in which case it's ethically permissible. So let me ask you a slightly different question then, which is, are there any cases in which you think there's a genuine sacrifice of privacy? Really, privacy is at issue. It's not the only thing that's at issue. And you think that plausibly anyway, it's worth making a sacrifice on the privacy side for the sake of something else. Maybe it's your speech. Yeah. So please tell me, what, what do you think? Okay. So privacy covers a lot of different things. We've been talking a lot about peer-to-peer communications, things of that sort. But there are other aspects of privacy as well, including, you know, your image, children privacy, right? Uh, Information about children, you know, personal data, personal identifiable data, personal health information. There's lots of different aspects here. One of them is around children. Pictures of children, images of children, in order to be able to capture those, you really need to have permission of their parents, right? Um, and that's, there are privacy laws around that. However, there was a project where law enforcement sought help from the technology to be able to identify children, which means they needed to have databases and so forth, but they wanted to scan social media for images of children that they knew were kidnapped or in sex trade or or something else because they wanted to go intervene. They wanted to stop that crime and rescue those children. So there becomes a dilemma. Well, how do you do that if the privacy law says you can't maintain pictures of children, right? So there are things, there are corner cases where we need to start figuring out how do we do that? How do we start to identify victims that are already victims and we want to make them less victims? Right. And, you know, in, even in that case, if you think about it, right, chances are the parents of those children and my heart goes out to them, right? If their child's been kidnapped or, or estranged or something like that and is being victimized, there's a really good chance they're going to authorize law enforcement to say, yeah, here's a picture of my child. Please go find them. Right. And that would extend out. But again, if you don't have all the controls in place to verify that or whatnot, or you don't have the laws in place to say, yes, law enforcement, once a report is made that there is a lost child or a child that they they can use that image. Right. It might be considered illegal. So, again, this is one of those situations where I think that technology is still far ahead of the laws. 
the laws aren't defined as yet to say, yes, you can use if, if, you know, police department, if somebody reports a missing child, you can absolutely use that image and, and scour open source, you know, repositories like social media. Okay, so, so, so we need to work on that. Let me make sure I have this right, what the conflict is. So I think, tell me if this is wrong. I think that there's two issues here. One, there's the importance of, say, finding the child. Or, of course, when it's that scale, finding, finding those children who have been kidnapped, etc. Okay. That's really important. Nobody denies that. Also, no one denies it's, it's important that, from a privacy perspective, that, say, your photos not be combed through by some kind of algorithm that's looking for something or other. That is, to some degree, some violation of privacy. And what you're saying is, you can have some algorithm crawling through millions of photos, say on Facebook or something along those lines, looking for some particular lost child. Of course, the people who are authorized to use that algorithm, yada, yada, they're properly authorized and you know, they got the appropriate warrant or whatever. And you think that plausibly anyway, even though there's a violation of people's privacy by virtue of an algorithm crawling through their private, their public, well, I guess not private, uh, through their, say, Facebook photos, Instagram photos, whatever, it might be worth it. Because the life of the child is worth that, let's, I'm going to say, and you can correct me, minor violation of privacy. The violation of privacy is not through the social site. The violation of privacy would be using the image of the child potentially without the parent's approval. That's oh, the violation, right? Um, okay. For public information, right? Let's say your Facebook page or something like that that's public. You've already signed off to say whatever I put out there is public. Sure, yeah. So there really isn't a violation who ever looks at it. Now, okay. if Facebook or somebody says, hey, we'll also allow law enforcement to scan your private, you know, images that you've marked private on your, or put some behind some wall, only my friends. Now that's different. But again, that comes to the EULA of that social media application, that company that you're making an arrangement with. So, so that's interesting. So I'm not, I'm not convinced that you, you can't violate someone's privacy just because you're using, say, photos on Facebook. It seems to me like there might be a scale of investigation into those public public facing pictures that could constitute a violation of privacy. I could put that to the side. I think there was also another conflict between they're not so public. They're let's say they're on Facebook, but they're only sure. shared with friends. I think there's you know plausibly, I think you could say, look, those things are private, but if an algorithm, not a person, an algorithm looks at those photos. So it's not even a looking, that's a metaphor, of course. If an algorithm, you know, tests or, you know, crawls through whatever, whatever metaphor you want. Analyzes to. them, yes. Yeah, and fine, analyzes them. Even that's a metaphor, it's not analyzed. Anyway, I think that could, I think that's plausibly permissible. Might be a violation of privacy, but it strikes me as a fairly minor one, given that no human, no person is looking at my photos. Yes, there might, I might get a flag. There might be a, uh, might be a false positive. Maybe I get in some trouble. That's obviously a big issue. We want to avoid that. We need proper controls in place for, for you know, fighting back. And then you think that there's another issue about whether it's a violation of privacy of the child. Police use the mm -hmm. image of the child without parents giving explicit permission for that. Copa laws, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, and, and I take it you think that plausibly the police are justified in using that image despite 
not receiving the consent of the parents. So put slightly differently, they are justified in violating the privacy of the parents or is it the child? It's the privacy of the child, but the parents represent the child. Sure. I know if you also thought it was a violation of privacy of the parents. I'm not talking legally. I'm talking ethically. Well, yeah, I mean, they're responsible for the child. But go, go, go back to the social media, Facebook, right? Your, exactly. your private pictures on Facebook, who do you think owns those? Sure. Facebook does, not you. Yeah, yeah. Facebook does. So if Facebook says law enforcement agency, by all means, please have a look. I don't find that unethical. Let's, just, let's suppose they don't, though. Let's just, let's just stipulate that they don't do that. Facebook just doesn't even know about it. But, okay. you know, the FBI figures out, got this algorithm, et cetera, <clears> we can get it to call, crawl through Facebook system in various ways. That's going to see, uh, you know, those photos that are only shared with friends because looking for this, you know, lost, kid, not lost, you know, presumably kidnapped child. Abducted or something. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. We might even know that the child was abducted somehow or other. Mm -hmm. and, I don't know. That seems like, seems to me like a tough call at best. Tough call. It is. Think about this. Okay. Situation. Mother and father abduct a child. Yeah. Okay. So, and, you know, the, you know, grandparents or whatever are worried or they, you know, they think there's foul play involved. They think there's abuse involved. Law enforcement is brought in. Law enforcement wants to track where these people are. All right. So they want to be able to, to look at the parents' you know, Facebook and pages, and they want to be able to figure out where their cell phones are and things of that sort, right? Facebook may turn around and say, no, you can't have access in theory. Now, law enforcement can go, well, you know what? It's funny, you just got hacked last week and the hackers put your database online. Maybe I just go over there. Yeah. Maybe I just use this other illegal, right? It's hacked. It's, it's no longer illegal database and search for the benefit of the child that becomes an ethical conundrum right it really does and i can see law enforcement going and doing that and unfortunately right and maybe going and even arresting the parents somewhere and unfortunately down the road at trial their defense attorney says i'm sorry that information was acquired illegally just like an illegal search warrant Therefore, any information resulting from that, any evidence collected resulting from that is fruit of the spoiled tree and cannot be used in court for prosecution. And you know what? I think law enforcement would be okay with that because their goal was to get the child safe first. Okay. Yeah. And I've seen acts like that before. Yeah. And it's an ethical conundrum, yeah. right? So good. It's good. It's nice. I mean, I think, you know, what it's nice for me to hear from a, a privacy advocate like yourself is that there are real cases where sacrificing oh, privacy yeah. might be called for. I think that's right. Okay, man. Thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun. No, really. I mean, I, you're the expert on privacy. I'm the, I'm the novice. And it's really, it's really helpful and interesting to learn and, you know, I've obviously been really trying to push as hard as I can about because I want to I want to explore the boundaries of how much we should care about privacy. Obviously, a lot. I want to know, you know, when does it butt up against things, other things that we care about? And so I've been trying to, to push and push some line downgrade the importance of privacy relative to others. 
you've done a magnificent job of defending its importance, but, also, <laughs> but you've also given some cases in which you think, yeah, maybe, you know, there's some tough questions where maybe privacy is not yes. the most important thing at play. That's all. And one thing that we, maybe we talked about some other time is, you know, these third party vendors who, who can help you hack individual devices. I don't know. There's got to be some kind of control around that stuff too. There okay. should be. There, there really should. And it's a great topic. But, you know, in conclusion, we do need to have a balance, I think, of privacy. It can't go to one extreme. It can't go to the other. But as a society, as defined by our laws and our rules and what we vote on and who we vote to make those laws, we need to, to have clarity on what that optimal balance is. Nobody wants to be victimized or allow criminals to run rampant, right, without any controls. But on the other hand, nobody wants, as as a law-abiding citizen to be persecuted or watched or, or you, know, you know, handled in that way, it's, we don't find that fair. That's why innocents are proven guilty. So we have to, and I'm both a pro-privacy advocate and a pro-law enforcement advocate. It all comes down to trust. And we wanna trust our systems to not abuse us in any bad way. All right, well. The final and the wisest words. Thank you so much, Matthew Rosenquist. Thank you much. Bye, man.